Hey everybody! Welcome! It's Wednesday! It's high noon. It's time for the AltaCast here on Mutiny Radio. I will be joined by Latoya, the Sheriff of Truth. I cannot wait. My breath is baited. I am excited. She's back. I was on vacation, then she was on vacation. Now we're finally all back together again at the beginning of the year here at MutinyRadio.fm on the AltaCast, bringing you news with a socialist bent. The world is falling apart, and it's only the third of the year, everybody. January 3rd, 2018. Get used to it. Here we are. All right. Well, uh, Latoya's not here yet. Surprise! It's all good. She's on her way. She said she was. God, I hope she is. It's hard to do it alone, guys. Coming up at 2 o'clock today on Some Call Me Tim, I have a bunch of friends coming in to help me record some commercials for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival coming March 1st through 5th. We're going to create that new breaker with all of our wonderful sponsors. Spark, obviously. Spark presents the third annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018, March 1st through 5th. That's Thursday, March 1st through Monday, March 5th. Why a Thursday through a Monday? Because I just didn't, I didn't want to change things. I just wanted to be the first through the 5th. It's so hard to be like, February 12th. I'm just going to keep it the first through the 5th. I think it's the easiest way to do it. If next year it's a Friday through a Tuesday, so be it. Is that crazy? Sure, whatever. All right. Well, thanks to our sponsors. They are Spark, Bender's Barn Grill, Rainbow, Grocery Cooperative, Green Army Cosmetics. Yeah, there's weed in that them there. Cosmetics. Really great stuff. I'm wearing the lip gloss right now. Actually, let me put some more on. Uh, mm-hmm. Subliminal SF, Tim's Tesseract, and Asiento. All of our buddies. Thanks for helping us out for this year's festival. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of fun. Uh, a bunch of comedians coming from all over the United States to be here in San Francisco and to be on this stage. We're going to have the GoPro going, so, oh boy, we're going to populate that Mutiny Radio YouTube page that we're trying so desperately to start and populate. There's just so much to do. I wish I was one of those little kids that just was like, the musically and the stuff and everybody's what? I still, my dumb phone's in front of me and uh, putting things into the calculator and I feel advanced. I just, I just can't get with the, uh, with the technology and I'm super excited for, now I used to talk about the solar flare, but now with uh, Arden's new theory about the Koreans and their pulse uh, that could take out the electricity. So good. So it's so funny, you know, we're, uh, Jonathan and I are trying not to pay attention to the news, but we're at Tikka Masala last night eating delicious goat chops and up on the screen there comes because they like to watch CNN or Al Jazeera or whatever but it was CNN I think people talking about uh, 45's tweeting like a 12 year old girl about Kim Jong Un and how his button is bigger and blah 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 and I'm like so unpresidential my button's bigger and it works (laughs) fuck face uh, hey, you know what? They're not even practicing for the nuclear 
explosions. All they want to do is have an electromagnetic pulse that'll take out our electricity because without your cell phone, you guys are all going to freak out. The rest of America... Now, I know how to denature protein overheat, and I don't really care about my cell phone. Everything's going to be fine. The Job Rocker Max has 50 hours of battery life to be able to do comedy for 50 hours, and then it'll go out. Um... <laughs> we could only have 50 hours of comedy and then we have to yell like old school cheerleaders. Uh, that shows you where my worries are in the apocalypse. But all these kids without uh, without their electricity are gonna they're gonna have no idea what to do. You have to put on a jacket. What? Millennials ruining everything. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. Latoya, get here. Oh. Hopefully her Uber will arrive. I looked up some things for you guys. The first thing I looked up was Russia. And we come up with uh, two hours ago, Steve Bannon is 100% right about Russia and the Trump campaign. Steve, 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 Bannon, man. 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 Well, crazy things are happening. This is um, from CNN. A new book detailing the wild first year of Donald Trump's presidency. Former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon is quoted blasting top operatives in the 2016 campaign for their naivete and idiocy in their dealings with the Russians. One of the 2016 meeting between Donald Trump Jr., Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, then-campaign chairman Paul Manafort, and several Russians, in which dirt on Hillary Clinton had been promised to the campaign, Bannon tells author Michael Wolf, according to The Guardian, which obtained an early copy of the book. The three senior guys in the campaign thought it was a good idea to meet with a foreign government inside the Trump Tower in the conference room on the 25th floor with no lawyers. They didn't have any lawyers. Even if you thought that this was not treasonous or unpatriotic or bad shit, and I happen to think it's all of that, you should have called the FBI immediately. On blast! Oh, oh, Steve Bannon puts it on blast! The idea that Russia meeting between the three top officials in the Trump campaign and a handful of people with Russian ties could or should be held in a Trump Tower is on its face ludicrous. And that doesn't even get into the fact that the, tr- the reason, or a reason, that the meeting even happened in the first place was that Don Jr. had been promised dirt on Clinton by Rob Goldstone, a publicist for Russian pop star Emin Alagarov, whose father is a business tycoon close to the Russian government. Whether or not anything actually happened, Don Jr. insists the meeting was brief and uneventful. The sheer appearance that such a gathering conveys is a very bad one, particularly when you consider that two former Trump aides have already pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about their contacts with Russian Russia during the 2016 campaign. According to The Guardian, Bannon went on, Wolf writes, to say that if any such meeting had taken had to take place, it should have been set up in a Holiday Inn in Manchester, New Hampshire, with your lawyers who meet with these people. Any information, he said, could then be dumped 
down to Breitbart or something like that, or maybe some other more legitimate publication. You never see it. You never know it because you don't need to, but that's the brain trust they had. This is what's known as plausible deniability, as in senior leadership in any campaign never get too close to the truly explosive or potentially explosive material that is peddled in the dark channels of opposition research so that if it ever actually blows up, they can honestly say they never knew about it. What Bannon nails in the last line of his quote above is the fact that the main brain trust of the Trump campaign simply wasn't terribly well-versed in the ways that the modern campaigns operate. Don Jr. and Kushner are family. Neither man had ever been involved in politics at any sort of national level prior to his campaign. Manafort hadn't run or really been involved at a high level with a campaign in the country in decades. So, oh, because he's a stupid idiot and doesn't know anything about politics that totally forgives everything? I fucking hate the world. This is insane. Well, he can be forgiven because... Put on the music line. He can be forgiven because he's stupid. You know, not knowing the law, that's what they told me. Not knowing the law is not an excuse for breaking the law. Well, I didn't know the law. Well, you not knowing it and you breaking it still means you broke the law. Like, that's what they told me <laughs> when I broke the law. Except rich people don't have to obey, obey any laws, even treasonous laws. Like laws where people would get shot in the fucking face. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens to treasonous people. That's what happens. Like, we can look that up. What happens to treasonous people in the... Look at, look at Ethel. What did Ethel get murdered for? Communism. Oh, my God. What happens to treason? What happens to treasonous Americans. What happens to treasonous Americans? Treason against the United States. Okay. Uh, Treason against the United States, New York Times. This is from... Treason against the United published January 25th, 1861. Oh my God. Here we go. By... Section 110 of Article 3 of the Constitution of the United States, it is declared that treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. The Congress shall have power to declare the punishment of treason. In 1790, the Congress of the United States enacted that if any person or persons owing allegiance to the United States of America shall levy war against them or shall adhere to their enemies, giving them aid or comfort within the United States or elsewhere, and shall be thereof convicted on confession in open court or on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act of treason, whereof he or they shall stand indicted. Such person or persons shall be adjudged adjudged guilty of treason against the United States and shall suffer death. It's in caps. And that if any person or persons having knowledge of the commission of any of these treasons aforesaid shall conceal and not as soon as may be disclosed and make known the same to the president of the United States or someone of the judges thereof or to the president or governor of a particular state or some 
one of the judges or judges thereof, such person or persons on conviction shall be adjudged guilty of misprison of treason and shall be imprisoned not exceeding seven years and fined not exceeding $1,000. James Madison in the 43rd number of the Federalist says, as treason may be committed against the United States, the authority of the United States ought to be enabled to punish it. But as new tangled and artificial treasons have been the great engines by which violent factions and natural offspring of free governments have usually wreaked their alternate malignancy on each other, the convention has with great judgment opposed a barrier to this particular danger by inserting a constitutional definition of the crime. Oy, I am could never have been a lawyer. The Constitution confines the crime of treason to two species. First, the levying of war against the United States, and secondarily, secondly, adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. In doing so, the very words of the statute of treason of Edward III were adopted, and thus the framers of the Constitution recognized the well-settled interpretation of these phrases in the administration of criminal law, which has prevailed for centuries in England. Uh, so I don't think he created, I mean, I'm not going to subject you to any further of this, but uh, I don't think that they committed treason then. I mean, unless giving aid is bringing them to the Trump Tower and being having, giving them coffee, right? Is that... Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon, man. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Uh... So it's not, it's not, it's not really treasonous, but I have no love for what's happening right now. I mean, 2018, it seems like as we were watching it last night, you know, we were, we were eating delicious goat chops and, um, looking up at the TV and I was just watching mouths move and, and Jonathan says to me, it seems like everyone's being indicted for this Russia, Russia scandal about Trump, except Trump. So he has that plausible deniability of, I didn't know. Um, I think that they make sure that that happens now because of the whole Nixon thing. Remember that? Uh, but not until they got the DEA uh, selling crack to people. Alrighty. Let's see. This is fun. Five minutes ago. 45. I don't like saying his name. 45 issues official statement. Steve Bannon is crazy. And there's a picture of two of these ugly fuck faces. One with real hair, one without. Uh, that's Steve Bannon's real hair, I believe. Uh, oh. President 45 has disavowed his advisor, Steve Bannon, saying in an official statement that the two-shirted former White House chief strategist has lost his mind. Steve Bannon has nothing to do with me or my presidency. 45 said last Wednesday, when he was fired, he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. Steve was a staffer who worked for me after I had already won the nomination by defeating 17 candidates, often described as the most talented field ever assembled by the Republican Party. I'm sorry. The president also made a point of diminishing Bannon's once influential role in his administration, saying, Steve was rarely in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with me and only pretends to have had influence to fool a few people with no access and no clue whom he helped write phony books. 
Trump also blamed Bannon for Roy Moore's loss in the Alabama special election last month and accused his former advisor of waging war on the media in an effort to make himself seem far more important than he was. It was the only thing he does well. The statements from the president insulting and dis distancing himself from the man widely credited with helping him win the election came just a few hours after the release of excerpts from a new book about the early days of the 45's administration. In the book, Fire and Fury, Inside 45 White House, it's not called that, it's his name, I'm sorry, I just don't like saying it. Bannon is quoted by author Michael Wolff as saying the June 4th meeting at Trump Tower between members of the Trump administration and Russia was treasonous and that it never should have happened, according to The Guardian. The book appears full of damaging revelations about Trump and his family. Each member of 45's entourage, his children included, appear to have understood 45's presidency as an opportunity to raise their own profile. Jared and Ivanka agreed that should one of them have the opportunity to run for president, Ivanka would be the one to go for it, Wolf reports. Bannon apparently found the idea of Ivanka running for president completely laughable. Other portions confirm widely reported information about 45 and his ambitions. According to the excerpt published by the New York Magazine, 45 neither expected nor wanted to win the 26th presidential election. Shortly after 8 p.m. on election night, when the unexpected trend Trump might actually win, seemed confirmed. Don Jr. told a friend that his father, or DJT, as he calls him, DJT, as he calls him, looked like as looked as if he had seen a ghost. Wolf's book claims Melania was in tears and not of joy. And chaos reigned in the West Wing during the first several months of 45's presidency, Wolf writes with Jared Kusher, Rents Priebus and Steve Bannon vying for power under a boss who was often convinced by whomever he had last spoken to. In a meeting with Silicon Valley executives, for example, 45 was apparently briefly convinced that advocating for H-1B visas, which allowed skilled workers to enter entry into the U.S., could be squared with his anti-immigrant agenda. What a fucking idiot, Rupert Murdoch said, according to Wolf, after 45 explained his H-1B plans over the phone. 45 also takes reporting on the supposed P-tape quite personally, Wolf reports. According to the book, the president believes that he got CNN CEO Jeff Zucker his current job by allowing him to commission The Apprentice as an NBC exec. Zucker was made by Trump. Trump allegedly said, making CNN's reporting on the golden shower dossier all the more a betrayal. I mean, it's crazy to me. I, I hate saying his name. Okay, I don't think that, um, I don't think that uh, the Seraph of Truth is coming today, which makes me exceedingly sad. Uh, and in lieu of her being here, I think that we should play the Steve Bannon Man uh, song from Hot Dirty P and the Sheriff our debut album from 2017 entitled Hot Dirty P and the Sheriff so you guys are all excited for it to drop I've been reading the autobiography of Gucci Mane 
I had no idea who that guy was. And now I'm like, ha ha! I don't like his music, but wow. What a life, this guy. Oh, in and out of jail. I feel terrible for all the parole violations. Wow, does that suck. Parole violations all over the place. I was, I'm just, anyway. Here we go. Uh, This is something we recorded last year, April 26th to be exact. Are we officially saying that Steve Bannon has a small penis? Oh, here he goes. Bring up the volume. I always go to the dip. All rise, all rise for his master of spin, Mr. White House chief strategist in the Trump administration, 45's main liar, misogynist, racist homophobe, Steve Bannon man, Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon man, who is he? Oh, he's Steve, Steve Bannon man, he's Steve Bannon man, oh, the most hateful, the most hateful Right, Bart is a hateful place. I couldn't share with myself. Oh, no. uh. gay rights have made us dumber, and it's time to get back in the closet. Hey, 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 hey! Steve, 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 Banner. Steve, 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 Banner. Like a guard dog. Oh. Hoist it high and proud. The Confederate flag proclaims a glorious heritage. White is right. Oh, white is right. We're pretty racist against lots of things. Oh, Steve, 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 Bannon. Steve, 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 Bannon. Trannies whine about hilarious Bruce Jenner billboard. He's still calling them trannies. Oh, the misogyny, the homophobe, the transphobia. I can't believe it. Birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. I said birth control makes women unattractive and crazy. What? It makes you fat. It makes your voice unsexy. It makes you a slut. Because it's Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Big, big misogynist. Big, big hater. Buttercups, dangerous faggot tour returns to colleges in September. I said, suck it up, Buttercups. Suck it up. Suck it up. Steve, 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 Steve Bannon. Bannon. Steve oh. is the hate that's hate, Steve hate, hate, hate. Gotta hate the fags, gotta hate the Jews, gotta hate the ladies and all of yous. Suck it up, Buttercups. Dangerous faggot tour returns to colleges in September. Because he's Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Misogyny. Homosexuality. Racism. He's he's all of it. He's all of it. Yeah, it's it's great. Why don't you just kill yourself? I got a gun right here and off yourself now. The solution to online harassment is simple. Women should just log off. They're screwing up the internet for men by invading every single space we have online and ruining it with attention-seeking, needy-demanding, and touchy-feeling form of feminism. Because women belong in the kitchen. Yeah. And no birth control for you, bitch, be pregnant. There's no hiring bias against women in tech. They just suck at interviews. Oh, we don't know how to talk. Would you rather have your child have feminism or cancer? What the fuck does 
Lovey. I really want Steve Bannon to get cancer. Yeah, he looks like Steve, he Steve, does. Steve, Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Hey, oh. nice oh. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. World Health Organization report. Tranny's 49 times higher HIV rate. There's that word again. Homophobia is rampant. Did we mention that he's a White House executive? Oh. <laughs> Did we mention he's maybe the second most powerful person in the United States? He's got the cold. Misogyny and racism. Racism and transphobia and homophobia. All that stuff. Yeah. Steve Bannon. Steve, Steve, Steve Bannon. Hating ass nigga. We do it every week. How do we do it? How does it keep happening? It's so amazing. Well, there's there's the old Steve Bannon uh, rap from Hot Dirty P and the Sheriff. If you like that, we've got, I'm going to play another one. I'm going to play Women Who Work. Uh, This is the Ivanka one. She, in honor of her wanting to be the president someday because she's you know such that's so great uh, and then we come back from that we're gonna everything is terrible five more things to worry about in 2018 if you weren't worrying enough oof. Uh, if you weren't worrying enough here's women who work by Ivanka dirty hot dirty pee and the sheriff coming at you yeah coming at you some magic doesn't work, she doesn't work. Women who work, passion is what makes us feel most alive. Women who work, women who work, don't buy her book cause it's full of plagiarism. The trump card, her first book, nothing in that either. Your age, your background, your education, or your success. We all are granted 168 hours a week. Hours a week. That's math. 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 That's. Is that a 24 hour day times seven, which equals 168 hours a week? When do you sleep? I got a nanny. When do you sleep? She's got a nanny and a child. Oh. How do you build a world-class team? First, you have to find the right people. Thank you, Captain Obvious, Obvious. Captain Obvious, Ivanka, online advice. Don't gossip, gossip about women who work. Trump card. Get the Trump card, don't buy her first burk either because she already has too much money. Too much money, don't buy the book to burn it. Go to the library and burn it from there. Burn it all down. We often don't realize that while we're waiting for our lives to begin, they have already. And they're made up of all the decisions we make, big and small. 
conscious or not Thank you, Captain Obvious Women who work I could make enough as her nanny She probably pays $38 an hour to a service That's a lot of money Maybe, maybe she doesn't pay a service And it's just another Slovenian girl Hanging out in her house Women who work Women who work Nannies work Women who work Women who work Success is a team sport Success is a team sport Trump, Captain Obvious, Captain, so much, you can learn so much from the perspective of others, and it literally costs you nothing, but I'll pay you lots of money to be my nanny, my nanny while I'm at work, I plagiarized you and work, I didn't write this novel either, it's probably a ghost writer, or it was me in a room with a tape recorder talking about myself, how cool my life is, my nice husband, my dad, he's really nice, and my nanny. Some of my best photos of the kids were taken by my nanny during the day, and I'm sure in 10 years, I'll convince myself I took them, because I, I take everyone else's work and make it my own. Plagiarism, women who work. <laughs> We did it again. So there's more uh, of us just being funny. That's <laughs> so last year, uh, if you're a regular listener to the Altcast, obviously you know that these were in there. Um, we just do these one takes where um, I'd get quotes from the internet and then we'd sing songs, you know. I, like I'm a rapper because I've been reading and now that now it all makes sense now that I'm re- reading the the autobiography of Gucci Mane who I had no idea that that guy even existed um, before Christmas time and then it, what a wonderful gift what a fantastic gift from Jonathan's cousin love it absolutely all right let's look to futurism everybody this is from Futurism.com, Everything is Terrible, Five More Things to Worry About in 2018, written by Arlen Woodward, just recently. No matter if you think it was good or bad, 2017 was clearly a tumultuous year. It was punctuated and peppered with global commotion, from the United Kingdom's vote to exit the European Union, to escalating tensions with North Korea and ongoing investigation into U.S. government officials. With that year coming to a close, perhaps it's the right time to ask, what's coming next? 2018 will surely come up with some hopeful events. The U.S. could grow accustomed to new leadership, and 87 countries around the world will watch their athletes compete in the Winter Olympics. But as always, there are some things humanity might need to worry about in the coming year. Futurism chatted with experts to track down what could be keeping you up at night in 2018. Excuse me, that's the frog in my throat. It's keeping me up at night. Also, the World Cup, guys, that's coming up this year in Russia. Isn't that crazy? Number five, a non-neutral internet spreads misinformation. 
On December 14th, 2017, the Federal Communications Commission voted to repeal net neutrality, the Obama-era regulations that prevented Internet service providers, ISPs, from prioritizing certain websites, blocking content, and charging for different download speeds. The Internet will no longer be classified as a public utility, so it can't be regulated by the government. Providers like AT&T, Verizon, and Comcast will not only be able to create fast lanes and slow lanes on the internet, but also decide which websites travel in which lanes, and even block certain websites from consumers on the internet. Heather Ross, an assistant professor at Arizona State University's School for Future of Innovation and Society, told Futurism, while changes to the marketplace won't happen overnight, Americans will probably see some changes to their internet service bills in the next year. Proponents of net neutrality repeal state that this move will restore free market status to the internet, which will benefit consumers by theoretically lowering their internet bills and supporting innovation in telecommunications and broadband technology, Ross said. Not everyone agrees it'll work out that way. Nicholas Economides, an economics professor at New York University's Stern School of Business, said it's unlikely companies will cut consumer prices. I don't think AT&T is going to cut my bill. That idea is laughable, he said. Almost as laughable as his last name being Economides, and he's an economics professor. Just adding my own two cents to that. Beyond concerns about internet speeds and pricing, Ross is more worried that this Move gives corporations control over how we access information. Entrepreneurs who rely on free and open access to the internet are concerned that the loss of net neutrality will curtail their ability to innovate and grow their businesses. Ross said our democracy relies on the free exchange of information. The loss of net neutrality is a threat to our democracy. She said, I agree. I mean, it it definitely affects us here at Mutiny Radio since you guys are downloading us. So download speeds and maybe trying to stream live. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Indeed, some experts believe that this development spells ill for American democracy. Without federally enforced net neutrality, internet service providers are not only empowered, but actively encouraged to exercise discriminatory oversight of the internet traffic they carry. Aram Sinreich, an associate professor at American University of Schools of Communication, previously told Futurism, free speech and privacy will be the collateral damage as the ISPs become able to block encryption, censor dissent, and pick and choose winners and losers. Choose us as a winner, Mutiny Radio! ISPs could store content and deliver it from their networks instead of direct from the original content provider. Libby Hemphill, an associate professor of information at the University of Michigan, pointed out ISPs may want to do this for really popular content, for instance. Hemphill previously told Futurism, what it means for consumers is that if you want to access popular content, you can get it fast. What's been popular lately? Misinformation. So potentially misinformation and clickbait gets cached and serviced for served fast, while authoritative reporting remains uncashed and slow. That's not good for consumers or for our democracy. Economides, the NYU professor, took the argument one step further. What would happen if, say, the Wall Street Journal paid internet service providers for expedited service, while the New York Times did not? Suddenly, the level playing field in online news competition is gone forever, he said. It's crazy stuff, you guys. You know, what if, what if porn is faster and everything else is slow? I mean, that's the funny thing is it? I mean, slow down the porn, everybody. The kids, really, the 12-year-olds don't need access to all the porn. Four, 
earthquake hits the Pacific Northwest. In September 2017, two earthquakes, a magnitude 8.1 and a magnitude 7.1, struck Mexico one week after the other. More than 300 people died. Most casualties were a result of collapsing infrastructure more than physical ground shaking. These disasters highlighted the necessity of stricter building codes for new buildings and the retrofitting existing structures to make them more impervious to earthquakes. For the Pacific Northwest, the lesson from Mexico hits home, sitting atop the Cascadian Subduction Zone, CSZ, a 1,000-kilometer, 620-mile megathrust fault that runs from northern Vancouver Island to Cape Mendocino, Florida. Scientists from this region of the U.S. and Canada know it's only a matter of time until they experience a major earthquake of their own. Jay Wilson, the Clackamas County Resilience Coordinator in Oregon told Futurism that most estimates predict there's a 10 to 15 percent chance that CSZ will rupture in a magnitude 9.0 quake in the next 50 years. Those may not seem like big odds, but Allison Bird, an earthquake seismologist with Natural Resources Canada, told Futurism, if there was a lottery with those odds, we would be all be buying a ticket. We've been kind of lucky in the first half of the 20th century. There were many large earthquakes, but it's been relatively quiet since 1949, Bird said. She thinks people have been lulled into false sense of security by this long period of quiet. So they've been lax about taking steps to make themselves and their families safer. Securing furniture in their homes, for example. It's hard to get people to really grasp this, that it could happen to you, not just elsewhere to other people, she said. Scientists still can't predict precisely when this large earthquake will happen. But every year we don't have it, the closer it gets. Bird said 2018 could be the year CSC ruptures. In the immediate future, Wilson is most worried about the opportunities we are missing every time we plan, review, permit, and construct a new building that is only designed to meet the minimum life safety seismic code. He said this minimum standards helps ensure that in a damaging earthquake, the building will suffer damage but won't collapse so that occupants can safely escape. There's a picture of a building that's very scary, and it says unreinforced buildings could collapse during a major earthquake, killing those inside, and it's very collapsy. Uh, Chris Goldfinger, a professor of geology and geophysics at Oregon State University, also said that building owners need to retrofit existing buildings in cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles to withstand the big shaking that is inevitably coming. 50 to 70% of the built environment are unreinforced masonry buildings with high damage collapse hazards, he told Futurism. It's not too extreme at all to call it Russian roulette. Ah, Don't scare me, Futurism. Number three, the Bitcoin bubble pops. I don't care this one so much, but I know people who've invested in it. The world has been a buzz about Bitcoin in the second half of 2017. Since the start of the year, the price of Bitcoin has risen 1,700%, topping out at around $18,000 for a single Bitcoin in December 2017. Some experts predict that this meteoric rise could predict an equally dramatic fall. Bitcoin's popularity has vacillated wildly in the last three months for every handful of people who hop on the Bitcoin train, an equal number seem to get off. In December, one of Bitcoin's founder sold 
just sold all of his Bitcoin in the same week that a company in Japan decided to offer its employees the option to have their salaries paid in it. Ultimately, though, experts think the cryptocurrency price will drop and the bubble will pop. In October, economist Kenneth Rogoff at Harvard University published an op-ed in The Guardian predicting that the price of Bitcoin would collapse due to competition from other altcoins and tokens in the crypto market. Government regulation, too, could cripple the currency's value, Rogoff added. The movements in Bitcoin market look a lot like a bubble. Campbell Harvey, a professor of finance at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, told Futurism, what I tell speculative investors is that you need to be prepared to lose 90% of your investment, he said. Originally, the people who bought Bitcoin understood the blockchain technology and its potential. Harvey said now a different class of investors has joined in. They see it as a store of value or an asset that's appreciating. They see their neighbor or some friend getting rich because Bitcoin is going up and they want to join the bandwagon, Harvey said. And these new investors who are buying high and selling low are going to stay in so long as price keeps going up. But it won't keep going up forever. Will the bubble pop? Yes, Harvey affirmed. It's really just a question of when. And that's hard to predict. Fortunately, the burst bubble won't likely have much impact on the global or U.S. economy. And it doesn't mean the market value of about $300 billion goes to zero, Harvey said. It means the bandwagon investors will leave the party and the prices will go down. Number two. U.S. healthcare subsidies end. This is scary for millions of America. Healthcare was anything but guaranteed in 2017. Despite repeated attempts to repeal and replace it, the Affordable Care Act still stands. But some fear that other legislation might put the incentives that make it appealing to Americans. But some fear that other legislation might gut the incentives that make it appealing to Americans. In October, the members of the Trump administration announced the end of cost sharing reduction, CSR payments, government subsidies to help insurance companies ease out-of-pocket costs for low-income enrollees. The end of CSRs doesn't mean the end of those out-of-pocket protections. It just pushes their cost onto insurers. Without government payments to lower the cost for some, insurance companies may have to raise premium prices or even stop offering plans to the 10 million Americans under 65 who aren't covered by their employer. An August 2017 report from the U.S. Congressional Budget Office estimates that terminating CSR payments would decrease the number of insured Americans by 1 million by the end of 2018. For the recently passed tax overhaul bill, two might hinder the ACA. It removes tax penalty for not signing up for insurance, a provision that Republicans have long sought to dismantle. The same Congressional Budget Office predicts that 4 million people will no longer have health care coverage in the first year after the tax bill's passage. But there's no reason to think the entire Obamacare marketplace will collapse in the next year, Benjamin Sumner's an associate professor of health policy and economics at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health told Futurism. The marketplace in states like California and New York that have been aggressive about implementing the ACA will survive, he said. But he warned that if subsidies for premiums intended to help people buy insurance in the first place disappear thanks to a congressional repeal, then there would be a full implosion of ACA healthcare market. Very scary. Number one, 
This is what I've been talking about, and I'm so glad it's number one. Hackers attack the U.S. power grid. In September's Equifax, one of the nation's three major credit reporting agencies experienced a massive data breach, exposing the personal information of nearly 143 million Americans. Breaches like this one won't stop in 2018, according to Seth Lawson, an associate professor of communications at the University of Utah. In fact, he predicts we'll see even more data breaches at many of the private organizations with which we do business, including retailers and healthcare providers. But in 2018, we will likely see more incidents that involve the newer threats that emerged in 2016 and 2017, Lawson told Futurism. These include Internet of Things, Internet of Things attacked, in, include Internet of Things attacks, ransomware attacks, malicious cryptocurrency miners, nation state use of social media for propaganda and disinformation campaigns, and perhaps even cyber attacks against critical infrastructure, he said. That critical infrastructure could include the U.S. Gr- electrical grid. In an April 2017 report, the Council on Foreign Relations warned that places like Russia, China, and potentially Iran and North Korea could conduct a cyber attack on the American power grid. An insurance market company, Lloyd's of London, postulated a scenario in which hackers targeted the eastern interconnection of one of the U.S.'s major electrical grids that services nearly half the country. The hypothetical attack could cause a blackout across 15 states and the District of Columbia, leaving 93 million people without power. The cost of that scenario? $243 billion, nearly 40 times more than estimated losses from the 2003 Northeast, Northeast blackout, which left 50 million people without power for two days. And that's the end of that uh, of that scary scenario. Uh, cool. And then there's a picture of the power grid and what it looks like. And boy, is that half that half of the country from Texas over. They are stacked. I mean, we are too in uh, in San Francisco and then down in LA and San Diego. But boy, oh boy. La la la. Thanks for listening to Mutiny Radio. This is the AltaCast. Uh, don't worry. Everything is terrible. But uh, everything's going to be okay. It's a new year. I hope you guys all had a really happy new year. I did. I had a really great opportunity to go to Marty Cunney's house. And speaking of Marty Cunney, if you guys don't like the F-bomb comedy train, what is wrong with you? Go to F-bomb comedy train, like it, and say you're going. Uh, it's going to be awesome. It's this Saturday. And let me read you guys. Come see the inaugural F-Bomb, a comedy show hosted on a chartered historic streetcar on the famed San Francisco Muni F-Line. Normally when you hear people ranting and raving on the train, they're usually mentally unstable. This is a lot like that, but these people will be getting paid for it. Attendees will be picked up at the historic Castro District, taken to Pier 39 for a quick break, and taken back to the Castro. All the while hearing the great comedy from some of the best in the comedy scene, including... Casey Scannell, Pam Benjamin, Gabby Puccia, Julie Ash, Ashton Tate, Greg Gettle, and Joe Gorman. He's my favorite. And of course, hosted by the tantalizing Zane Barrett, 
and used to look like he lived on the train Marty Cunny. You are welcome to bring your own drinks, but some refreshments will be provided. Come laugh on the tracks. Who knows what we will see on the sunny old Market Street, 21 plus only. Support provided by Mutiny Radio, San Francisco Bay Area's number one independent internet radio station representing free speech in media for the Bay Area. Get your tickets for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival here and get your tickets right now at fbombbrownpapertickets.com. It is $25 and uh, there's going to be a gig on it. So come out. It's going to be really, really, really fun. I promise. Uh, get your tickets now. Get your tickets now. The F-bomb comedy train. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, Jonathan and I will be there with bells on. And I'll be making you guys laugh with the Job Rocker Max. And that's going to be a fun time. Uh, hey, also, be excited about the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival coming to you very soon. March 1st through 5th. Uh, today, we're going to be um, doing commercials for that, and it's going to be really fun, uh, thanks to our all of our sponsors, Spark and Vendors. Asiento, Rainbow Grocery, SF, Tim's Tesseract, and Green, Car- Green Army Cosmetics. Tim's Tesseract is great, you guys. Go check that out, timstesseract.com. I'm writing Jane Six on there right now, which is a lot of fun. I'm very proud of that story. I don't know about episode six right now. I'm like, meow, but uh, I wrote it yesterday, though, so it was fun. I've been working hard. Uh, if you want to see me do comedy tonight, go to Bricks. Frosty Nugs has a great show every Wednesday at Bricks, 9 o'clock. A great bar in Oakland. Great drinks. Good times. Um, here's another. 2018 might be a disaster. Shouldn't we? We shouldn't. We shouldn't be so sad. I, I put in. I put into the internet terrible things today. 2018 because there's a lot of people that are saying this is the you know the biggest things that will happen in tech or everything's going to fall apart. Um, Ten bad things that'll happen. You know, it's just everything that should die in 2018. I I mean I can I can put it on many fingers. Um, as I let you guys know earlier, I'm reading Gucci Mane's autobiography. Man, I do not like his music. I listened to it for the first time this morning as I'm almost finished with his autobiography, and I'm like, I don't like it at all. Uh, but I really have enjoyed reading about his life and being in and out of jail. Uh, what a miserable year of miserable things. Here's some stuff from 2017 that we hope stays in 2017. Facebook. Problem is not really Facebook. I should say Facebook is fucking awful. Stupid and smug and kind of blithely anti-human. Disgustingly craven even by prevailing standards of triumphal circa now ultra-capitalism. But it is terrible in large part because people are terrible or at least terribly lonely and scared and terribly unwilling to do anything about either. Facebook just happens to be the place where this is most annoyingly apparent. It's the social network that old people are comfortable with. 
Thank you. And the one that most everyone is on, and it's outwardly clean looking enough and seems normal relative to the rest of the social internet. It just doesn't work at all. Uh, so that's one bad thing. MLS expansion, ugh, soccer, fine, fine, fine. Investor culture, all right, fine, 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 fine. What else? Silicon Valley should die. Shilling for brands. Uh, drug laws, there we go. More than 63,000 people died of drug overdoses in 2016, according to CDC data. More than 40,000 of those ODs were from opiates, and the number for 2017 will be even worse. We are in the midst of a uh, drug overdose crisis, and there's one, need, one way to fight it. Drug laws need to die. It's been clear for years from studies and common sense that make the overdose crisis itself. The drug law doesn't work. Making a substance illegal will obviously keep some use down, but those who do wish to use, it makes the problem much worse. If there is one key cause to our current raise of overdoses, it's the crackdown on pill mills that drove people to more dangerous forms of heroin. Cracking down on heroin led to more fentanyl. Cracking down on fentanyl led to car fentanyl. Cracking down on drug gangs leads to turf wars and violence and inconsistent supply for users. Inconsistent supply leads to deaths. It's the iron law of prohibition. When drug enforcement is increased, drugs get more potent. And with regards to opiates, this is the most dangerous part of it all. When someone tries to quit drugs and relapses, they often use a dose that they were used to in the past. And they may buy from a new supplier and they might not know how much they're using. They are at the greatest risk of overdose. And now with this car fentanyl stuff, guys, well, there are no good guys or bad guys in the drug war, only winners and losers. And it would be nice if we could outlaw drugs and people would simply stop using them, but it doesn't work that way. The drugs will continue to flow no matter the amount of enforcement. Legalizing drugs would allow us to treat the problem as a public health one rather than as a criminal one. And this doesn't mean that we're that we suddenly have relatively unfettered commercial sales to adults like we do with alcohol or cigarettes or weed in some places. We might want to keep illegal drugs illegal to sell them, but make them legal to possess. Portugal has had success with decriminalization. Maybe we just start with safe injection sites. We might want to put our uses, users trying to quit on heroin maintenance or some of the underutilized medication-assisted treatments available today. We might want to ask drug users what they think would help. Perhaps a change in law will cause drug use to go up. Fortunately, most drug use doesn't lead to habit. And the most dangerous drug use and misuse will go down. We have tried our current approach for far too long. It has failed and it has made things worse for everyone. Drug laws need to die. Superhero movies, I agree with that. People complaining about superhero movies, I don't care. The machines. Oh, those are, I guess, things that, well, people might be worried about. I'm not too worried about too many of those things. What are you worried about? Let us know at Mutiny Radio. I'm, <laughs> I'm worried about getting the, everything together for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Although I am pretty on board. I mean, I shouldn't be too afraid of these kinds of things. Uh... I feel like, I don't know if we want to listen. I, I get bored of Hot Dirty P and the Sheriff only because I'm like, Ugh, it's not that good, is it? Um, 45 Alive Rap, I always liked very much. Women Who Work, I liked. I don't remember that. Yeah, I think that my favorite one of all time was the first one, which was the Susan Olsen. Um, I've got one called Tim on Tim. I don't know what that means. 
it must be just Tim when he was on Some Call Me Tim and I put it in this hot dirty pee in the sheriff. Uh, let's listen to Susan Olsen and then I will find some more music to play you guys because I don't have a co-host and I'm tired of talking. And um, no one called me up, so that's okay. But uh, you've been listening to the AltaCast. And I'm going to play some music that I'll enjoy uh, after this last rap from Hot Dirty P and the Sheriff, Susan Olson, the very first one that we recorded on March 1st, 2017. I, I think Trump supporters are funny to me, really. I don't think we should take them off the air all the time. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to, this is a, this is a rap, rap background. We're going to rap to it. <laughs> we'll get a little bit beat. Hey there, little pussy, let me get my big boy pants on and really take you on. What a snake in the grass, you are, you lying piece of shit. What? Too cowardly to confront me in real life. You do it on Facebook, you're the biggest faggot ass in the world. Biggest uh, pussy, uh, pussy, pussy. What? My dick is bigger than yours, which, which ain't saying much. What a true piece of shit you are, lying faggot. I hope you meet your karma slowly and painfully. Say uh, slowly and painfully. I'm Susan Olsen. Oh, uh, slowly. I'm Susan Olsen. And painfully. They call me Cindy and Brady. My name is Susan Olsen and I love Trump today. Oh, oh, Olsen. Brady, get it. Brady. I hope. Sincerely hope you reap all this that you deserve. Karma wise, you pathetic little cunt. You are. Hell is waiting for you. Enjoy. Hell is waiting for you. Enjoy. What? Hell is waiting for you. Enjoy. Slowly. What? Slowly. And painfully. My name is Susan Olsen. Susan Olsen. Susan Olsen. Susan Olsen. They call me Cindy. Susan Olsen. Susan Olsen. Susan Olsen. They call me Cindy Brady. I make America great again. Making America great. What a pathetic little cunt you are. Hell is waiting for you. Enjoy. 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 Call me Martin. Enjoy. I'm living in that Martin. Enjoy. Susan Olsen, the biggest cunt, drops off all the fuck you. Right? Did we just make a song? I, I, Did we just? That was pretty dope. Did we just make a song? I think that, we did. that was for you, Susan Olson. That was that was fun. I'm glad we I, did I the hope, freestyle. I hope you get. I hope you listen. To- I'm pretty proud of that. I gotta be honest. Uh, I I'm pretty proud of that Susan Olson rap. Uh, it makes me feel like like I'm a rapper, like Gucci Mane, my main man. Uh, we are going to have a good time here with uh, the Wyatt Act here playing live. This is going to be exciting. This is the Wyatt Act live in San Francisco. Balanced Breakfast Outside Lands After Party. Uh, Balanced Breakfast is Stefan's project. He's a badass. Uh, go check out Balanced Breakfast. And uh, also Breakfast Be Breakfast of the Wyatt Act. He is going to be the band that backs 
for our live band backed show in the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival coming up March. That's going to be actually six o'clock, March 3rd, live band backed with Breakfast to Be Breakfast. He plays like 12 instruments, so it should be really fun. Uh, but we're going to listen to the Wyatt Act live in San Francisco. Uh, it's 29 minutes. Have a good time. They've also played here live for the Noise Pop Block Party. They're lovely. Guinevere Q, no big fucking deal. Totally amazing. Uh, enjoy this here on the AltaCast. Breakfast, breakfast. Neck of the woods. Outside man's official after party. Make some noise for San Francisco's own high-energy experimental psychedelic slam rock band, The Wyatt Act. No big fucking deal.
come, so come. Shivering horn and starving and stick broke home. Red eyed and stoned and beaten and desperate too. Do as you're told, don't you dare fucking question.
about it. Yeah. But I don't regret it. And I'm gonna tell you what I did. And I'll tell you again. And maybe you'll join me one day. What did I do? What did I do?
I don't know. 20 motherfuckers riding Google buses. What's wrong with a regular bus? I don't know. 20 motherfuckers in my house today.
Choo-choo, motherfuckers. Let me tell you, when's the last time you were drinking on the train? Today, I know. But when's the last time you were drinking on the train legally? It could be this coming Saturday, January 6th, when we host the first inaugural F-Bomb Comedy Train. That's right, people. A personally rented Muni train on the F-Line, a Milan streetcar, reminiscent of the streets of Italy, and who the fuck knows when. I didn't really read the website. But let me tell you, it's going to be wonderful because... Not only are you going to be drinking on the train legally, but you're also going to be finding yourself listening to the finest comedians in the San Francisco Bay Area, including the mother of mutiny, Pam Benjamin, including the great Gabby Pochia, the great Julie Ash, the wonderful Ashton Tate just announced. Uh, Casey Skinnell. The awesome Casey Skinnell. What a guy. And uh, more to come. More How to much be announced. Uh, it is a $25 with a keg on board. So you're... Ticket includes the price of a beers. It's also BYOB, so bring what you like, as well as uh, it's about a two-hour trip. This goes on the tracks, people. We're going from Castro Street to Fisherman's Wharf and back, just like a real F-Line, except no one else can get on. We're just going to be a fucking bunch of party animals enjoying ourselves. And let me tell you, it's hosted by the tantalizing Zane Barrett and the guy who looks like he used to live on the train, Marty Cunney. So please join us at the F-Bomb Comedy Train. Tickets on Online at fbomb.brownpapertickets.com or just Facebook fbomb comedy train. Look it up, people.
doots and dozy doots and little lambsy divey, a kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? Yes, mezzy doots and dozy doots and little lambsy divey, a kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? If the words sound queer and funny to your ear, a little bit jumbled and jivey. And dozy dots and little lambsy divey, a kiddly divey too, wouldn't you? If the words sound queer and funny to your ear, a little bit jumbled and jumpy, say mezzy dots and dozy dots and little lambsy divey. So mezzy dots and dozy dots and little lambsy divey, a kiddly divey too. to reach the end of his first year in office with a 32% approval rating. Donald Trump made many, many losing moves in 2017. It is impossible to list them all. So here is just a sample, starting with following Steve Bannon and Roy Moore to defeat in Alabama. Luther, Luther Strange was the Republican senator appointed to fill Jeff Sessions' Senate seat after Donald Trump appointed Jeff Sessions to be his attorney general. Here is the president campaigning for Luther Strange in September by telling Republican voters they could vote for the other guy. And by the way, both good men, both good men. And you know what? And I told Luther, I have to say this, if his opponent wins, I'm going to be here campaigning like hell for him. Donald Trump's endorsement did not help Luther Strange, who lost in the primary to Steve Bannon's chosen candidate, Roy Moore. And then Roy Moore was accused of sexually assaulting a girl when she was 14 years old and trying to date other girls while they were still in high school. And Roy Moore was a 32-year-old assistant district attorney. Republican Senator Richard Shelby withdrew his support for the Republican ticket and voted for someone else. The, Republican, the Senate Republican Political Action Committee stopped funding Roy Moore's campaign. Mitch McConnell, Republican leader of the Senate, said an ethics investigation of Roy Moore would begin immediately if Roy Moore was elected to the Senate. What did Donald Trump do? President Trump campaigned for the accused 
child molester. Get out and vote for Roy Moore. Do it. Do it. Do it. We need somebody in that Senate seat who will vote for our Make America Great Again agenda. And once more, more people voted against Donald Trump on Election Day. And Donald Trump, Roy Moore and Steve Bannon went down in crushing, humiliating defeat in Alabama, giving us one of the best political sound bites of the year. Mr. Bannon, this is, this is a huge defeat for you. The silent humiliation of Steve Bannon. And in Charlottesville, a self-professed neo-Nazi was charged with murder for driving his car into a crowd of peaceful protesters and killing 32-year-old Heather Heyer. The violence in Charlottesville was universally and unequivocally, unequivocally condemned by politicians in both parties, except for one, Donald Trump. We're closely following the terrible events unfolding in Charlottesville, Virginia. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry, and violence on many sides. On many sides. Well, I do think there's blame. Yes, I think there's blame on both sides. You look at, you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. You had some very bad people in that group, but you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Steve Bannon was, he said, proud of Donald Trump's both sides response. Two days after President Trump said that, Senator Bob Corker said this. The president has not yet, um, has not yet been able to demonstrate the stability uh, nor some of the competence that he needs to demonstrate in order to be successful. But only one of President Trump's losing moves will continue to imperil his presidency in the new year. And that, of course, is firing FBI Director James Comey and telling Lester Holt on NBC that he did it essentially to obstruct justice. Regardless of recommendation, I was going to fire Comey, knowing there was no good time to do it. And in fact, when I decided to just do it, I said to myself, I said, you know, this Russia thing with Trump and Russia is a made up story. It's an excuse by the Democrats for having lost an election that they should have won. Joining us now, Jerry Reed, MSNBC national correspondent and the host of AM Joy on weekends on MSNBC. And also with us, Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post and an MSNBC contributor. And Joy Reid, no question, <laughs> uh, most important political interview of the year, yes. Mr. Lester Holt, yeah. who manages to get, without having to try that hard, get a <laughs> confession out of the president. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with all due respect to all the three of us at this table who all do interviews and are all journalists, that is going to turn out, I think, to be the definitive interview of the Trump presidency, mm -hmm. quite honestly. Because Lester Holt, who is completely nonpartisan, who's guileless, managed through his guilelessness to get Donald Trump to emote and to, as Donald Trump is wont to do, spill his guts. And he told Lester Holt the thing that will wind up probably undoing Donald Trump's presidency, that he fired Jim Comey, the 
the former director of the FBI, because of the Russia investigation. Up to now, they'd had a cover story for why they'd fired Jim Comey that even included because they thought that he was too cruel to Hillary right. Clinton, which is insane since Donald Trump despises Hillary Clinton and is obsessed with her. But that confession really does set in motion part two of the Russiagate investigation by Bob Mueller because track one is whether or not the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. Track two is did Donald Trump himself obstruct justice? Donald Trump seems to think, yes, he did. So, Jonathan, uh, firing Comey, it's, it's just such a hard thing to choose, but is that the biggest Trump mistake of the year? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Just, you know, recently the president even said what we just saw in the clip there, which is this is a made up story by the Democrats to explain why they lost the election. He wouldn't have to be saying those things had he not fired Mueller. You know, in a normal presidency, Jim Comey would, would still be the FBI director. A normal president would allow the FBI to conduct its, its investigation, would say all the proper things of we need to get to the bottom of this, it, it means something for our democracy, you know, whatever the Russians did, and that we will fully cooperate and leave it at that. But instead, the president decides he wants to not just fight with the Justice Department, fight with the FBI, but fire the FBI director and then keep fighting with everybody who keeps getting closer and closer and closer to him. And there might not be a special prosecutor if he hadn't fired James Comey. We exactly. might or might not, we don't know. Uh, Joy, there's, a, there's a, uh, a racial line going through Donald Trump's first year of the presidency uh, with the both sides comments, with his rush to support uh, uh, Roy Moore in Alabama. Uh, and there seems to be no breaking that spell for yeah. Donald Trump. And for Donald Trump, it's both his own proclivities, which go all the way back to the Nixon administration of all uh, administrations, prosecuting he and his father, essentially charging them with racial discrimination in their housing developments mm -hmm. in Queens, not letting black people live there, putting C for color on their applications, all the way through the Central Park Five and him wanting those five accused teenagers uh, who were accused of raping a white woman and who have been since proved innocent by DNA executed, and just his long history of weird racial comments, but you marry that to his decision to tie his fortunes to the alt-right, which is sort of a nice way of saying, um, you know, white supremacists who have inculcated themselves, they've embedded themselves like a virus inside of the Republican Party. And quite frankly, that group of people has been embedded in the past in the Democratic Party, but they are now fully ensconced in the GOP, and Donald Trump has decided to make common cause with them, with the Bannons, the Breitbarts of the world. So Donald Trump's decision to marry his fortunes to them, his birtherism, his own proclivities, have really lashed him to a kind of a brand of racism that we've never seen this overtly in the White House since Woodrow Wilson. Right. And Jonathan, it has the president's uh, views on these things have disgusted very prominent Republican Southerners. Oh, absolutely. Look, again, back to my normal president um, comment before. A normal president would keep the alt-right at more than arm's length. A normal president would not have a white supremacist just feet from the Oval Office the way Steve Bannon used to be. But yet, even though Steve Bannon is out of the White House, he is he, the president, is still consulting with Steve Bannon. And so, you know, to Joy's point, I would just add that every time the president gets into a fight with a person of color, whether they're NFL players, yeah. members of Congress like Congresswoman Frederica Wilson of Florida, mm -hmm. um, you name it, 
it's always playing to his base. His mm -hmm. base loves it. If we know anything about President Trump, his job approval rating could be in the could be in the 30s. But as long as that base of the Republican Party still cheers him when he goes and does those rallies, still applauds those lines, he's going to give them what they want. And clearly, what they want and what they like is grievance. Um, uh, they're stewed in with racial animosity mm -hmm. and you know looking at folks like me and, and joy and like wealthy nfl players mm -hmm. as you know spoiled ungrateful people who should just be happy to be here and, and joy uh it's not that long ago that most of the mainstream media was falling for the idea that donald trump was somehow a communications genius because <laughs> because he kept communicating successfully with a minority of american voters right. and and came in you know far behind hillary clinton in the vote on election night they still thought that was brilliant and now in the latest polling, uh, NBC poll, control of Congress for 2018, 50% favor Democrats, 39% favor Republicans, and that's thanks to the genius Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, you know, the Beltway media has long had this uh, sort of romantic attachment to what they call plain spokenness, right? And seeing anyone who was elite and erudite and Barack Obama as somehow revealing of their own elite backgrounds. And so a lot of media tend to want to, you know, cleave toward the plain spoken, the sort of hairy Truman, the simple guy, and they have this sort of love affair with it, right? You saw the J.D. Vance book rocket to the top of the New York Times bestseller list, and this obsession with Trump voters in Kentucky sort of almost anthropologizing them and going down as if you're sort of in the zoo, looking at the plain or ordinary white working class voter as if they are some sort of like exhibit. And I think that is a problem with media, quite frankly. I think it, it says something about the East Coast, West Coast sort of version of the media that, you know, that that's where the media comes from. But with Donald Trump, this idea that he is some sort of communications genius also comes from the fact that he knows how to use Twitter. But Donald Trump's use of Twitter and his communication has done nothing but hurt him. His communication <laughs> in Alabama did not help the right. candidates, both of them, that he wanted to win. It has not helped his, if he was such a great genius of communication, why is he at 32% bottom of the polls of every president in modern and probably all of, of, of presidential history? He is not a communications genius. He just knows who his audience is. Right. We're going to have to leave it there. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m.
you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.Evan. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. Yes. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base ten times or when you ride your bike four miles across the city. And it's fast acting. Why, no sooner that you apply some balm to your mouth or pain areas, you practically feel the new strength in your muscles. And what's more, Green Army Skincare is a good, wholesome product. They're made with body-nourishing cannabis and other natural ingredients. So go out there today and pick up some Green Army Skincare products from your local cannabis procurement center. Join thegreenarmy.com. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to invite you down to Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District in San Francisco at 806 South Van Ness. Uh, we've got great food by our kitchen counter offer, burgers, tater tots, tachos, corn dogs, all sorts of good stuff like that. They're open from opening until 11 p.m. most days of the week, except Saturday. 
uh, every Saturday night we've got live rock and roll some of the best local bands in San Francisco and touring acts as well come on down 10 p.m. rock and roll only night of the week we have a $5 cover charge always five bucks for live rock and roll we're open from 4 p.m. until 2 a.m. Monday through Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 2 to 2. Come on down, have some drinks with us. We've got Whiskey Wednesday, Tequila Tuesday, and we've always got the Steve McQueen special. Shot a bullet bourbon and a can of California lager for 8 bucks. Come down and enjoy our patio. It's open in the afternoon, not really in the evening, but a lot of good folks hanging out back there. Come on down, give us a shot. Drop by the bar, make some friends. Thanks, folks. Bender's Bar and Grill in the heart of the Mission District, San Francisco, California. With a happy hour every Monday through Friday until 7 p.m. Don't miss it. Go to Bender's Bar. Big supporter of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2018. Choo-choo, motherfuckers. Let me tell you, when's the last time you were drinking on the train? Today, I know. But when's the last time you were drinking on the train legally? It could be this coming Saturday, January 6th, when we host the first inaugural F-Bomb Comedy Train. That's right, people. A personally rented Muni train on the F-Line, a Milan streetcar, reminiscent of the streets of Italy, and who the fuck knows when. I didn't really read the website. But let me tell you, it's going to be wonderful because... Not only are you going to be drinking on the train legally, but you're also going to be finding yourself listening to the finest comedians in the San Francisco Bay Area, including the mother of mutiny, Pam Benjamin, including the great Gabby Pochia, the great Julie Ash, the wonderful Ashton Tate just announced. Cops, they all 
this is California. Land to the drop. Big timers watch the game from up top. This is California. Home of the haters, perpetrators and fakers, crocodiles and alligators, bakers with cakers, farms with acres, home of the warriors and the lakers. It's the land of the drop, drop tops, drop cars, snitches on the drop, running back to cop cars, cop cars, and that's the drop hard when they drop in the dime on a neighborhood star. And I can see through it, see through it, push it out there and let the G's do it, G's do it. Riding the jack with beat to it, beat to it. I'm a dawn, this is SFC music. Welcome to California. Welcome to California. Welcome to California.